today on the Tearsheet Podcast. For us, it's, it's all about driving goodness to all points of the network. We see this as an opportunity to lift all boats, increase the size of the tent while we're uh, creating more efficient commerce and creating more channels of growth for everybody. Hi, I'm Zach Miller, Editor-in-Chief of Tearsheet. The following was produced by Tearsheet Studios. We worked with payments provider Fiserv to create a podcast series about open finance and the work of empowering fintechs, brands, and FIs to collaborate and innovate together. In our first conversation in the series, we're speaking with Sunil Sachdev, SVP and head of fintech at Fiserv, about where we are on the open finance journey, the technologies under the hood that are helping to enable the evolution, the potential hurdles to look out for, and what's next. Hey, Zach. My name is Sunil Sachdev. I head up fintech and growth here at Fiserv. Basically, I'm responsible for taking a lot of the assets and capabilities we have within the company that have historically been positioned to financial institutions as well as merchants and opening it up uh, to fintechs, technology companies, and any third party that wants to participate in financial services. So it sounds almost like, a, is there a leveling of a playing field, I guess, now that you're opening this up to, to new entities? Yeah, I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is that any major brand that has uh, mind share and wallet share um, with their you know, audience is looking to monetize that further. And one of the ways that they're looking to do that is by embedding different types of payment capabilities and services and uh, it is resulting in a little bit of a leveling of the playing field and, and probably raising the bar in terms of expectations of customers. But we also really do see it as uh, uh, kind of opening up the tent, so to speak, for our traditional customers, because the, the current regulatory framework still uh, requires any brand that wants to offer financial services or banking services to participate and work and partner with a financial institution. Um, So especially given where the Durban regulations are, our sweet spot has always been community financial institutions. And we see this as a great opportunity to kind of lift all boats by bringing in more transaction value and extending the charter and diversifying revenue for our community institutions. I get that. You know, and so I think if we were having this conversation a couple of years ago, we probably would be start talking about um, open banking and what I've seen uh, in our coverage, and I'm curious about your perspective as well, is like we're not we're not we're not really talking about open banking as much as open finance. And I, I'd love to hear sort of that trend, what's happening in the background, what, what that transition is looking like for the industry. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on, Zach. And that's being brought on. I think a lot of the tailwinds around the API economy, the growth in Internet of Things, right? Uh, uh, the ability uh, for more and more folks to do different types of transactions digitally, uh, leveraging their mobile device, electronification of cash. There's all of these things that are happening at the same time that's really driving momentum. And and at Fiserv, we we support, uh, just to give you a data point, uh, close to 40% of the financial institutions in the country use a Fiserv core banking system. Post our uh, merger with First Data, we now see roughly 40% of the card transactions that happen in the country. So we're truly at, I believe, the nexus of commerce, right? 
And that's where I think open finance is, is evolving towards is the ability to uh, basically enhance commerce as the way we see it today. And that requires both, uh, um, you know, a, a healthy participation from the financial services arena and financial institutions, as well as those merchants and those fintechs and third parties that are, are enhancing user experiences for the, for the end customer. So open finance in a nutshell, evolution from open banking. And, uh, you know, we're not really surprised the puck's going there just because of all the tailwinds we're seeing. Yeah, wow. And, and thanks for providing that perspective. So 40% of core banking software and 40% of transactions, that gives you a really interesting perspective, I think, into the industry. How, how would you say, as we're talking more about this open finance move, like what are the benefits for, I guess, the constituents, particularly I'm thinking about consumers and small businesses? There's a segment in, in both arenas where they've been underserved. Right. And on the consumer side, we, we talk or, or we, we hear a lot about underserved, underbanked, unbanked. Right. So there's definitely a financial inclusion element to it. And the same thing for the small business side. I think the growth of fintechs provided a wake up call to traditional uh, providers of those capabilities. Right. Whether it's folks like Fiserv or others that are processing payments for those small businesses, I think there's a realization that uh, those small businesses on Main Street have also been underserved. Mm -hmm. And it really came through during the pandemic, right? I think everybody recognized immediately the importance of small businesses on Main Street in every community across the country. A lot also has to do with tailoring financial services. I think one of the things that the fintechs shined a great light on is the ability to tailor financial services, mm -hmm. right, for specific socio-demographic, socio-economic segments. Right. When you look at how the gig economy is growing, right, 40 percent of the labor force uh, now has a side hustle. Right. So the growth of 1099 economy continues uh, uh, to accelerate. And I think with that comes uh, a different expectation of financial institutions and financial service providers to basically tailor their offerings to meet the cash flow needs and, and requirements of the gig worker. All of these trends are, are helping to deliver products and services that make them more efficient, that actually are tailored to their uh, lives from a financial services perspective and allow them to, to have a better experience all around. That makes a lot of sense. And um, we're definitely seeing something similar, uh, somewhat of a renaissance within small business finance and the types of tools and, and services that they have access to now um, totally outshines what, what they had just access to a couple of years ago. Um, I, I'm curious from that same perspective of open finance, like what, what does this move towards opening uh, also mean for financial services companies? Financial institutions make money uh, by paying very little on deposits and taking those same deposits and lending it out for a better yield, right? And net interest margin's been kind of the, the hallmark of, of many financial institutions, business models for decades. And I think now with the advent or the, or the introduction or emergence of open finance, what financial institutions are realizing is that they can diversify their business model. They can tweak it. They can extend their charter to working with fintechs and third parties that allow them to capture a bigger piece of the transaction pie. Uh, and it also allows a lot of these financial institutions that somehow have always been kind of thinking about their communities or their MSA is kind of their footprint. 
It allows them to now deliver products and service much more nationally. It allows them to actually even uh, deliver services that are more tailored. And by leveraging the expertise of fintechs and third parties to do that, they don't have to worry about the uplift on the tech spend or the uplift on the operating side. It truly is a renaissance. Totally. Um, I hope with your permission, I'd like to geek out a little bit and talk about what some of the technologies are under the hood that are helping to enable um, this move to open finance. Given the, the position that we, we have in the marketplace, we are, we're uh, obviously seeing what the fintechs are doing, and that's largely driven by the API economy and the fact that uh, it's become much easier today to integrate systems to each other. Right. And if you're able to integrate, um, you know, better user experiences to a back end banking platform, you have the ability to delight a different sector of the, of the market. So the API economy uh, that really was unleashed with uh, the introduction of the smartphone, uh, you know, in the early 2000s continues to uh, reshape um, how people kind of interact and, and uh, participate in financial transactions. Just the other day, I heard about, um, you know, whether it was Samsung or one of the large appliance makers that's uh, allowing folks to order groceries right from your refrigerator. It's just those types of experiences that are, are really changing the way uh, people kind of live their lives and, and giving them more time to do other things. My dream of the internet toaster is just one step away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe we can zoom out now after we looked under the hood um, and would love if you could give a perspective where you think we are in the cycle. Like wh where is this headed from here? We're scratching the surface they, over the last six to 12 months. A lot of folks have focused on the emergence of Gen 3 cores. Uh, so core banking systems that have now been created uh, natively in a cloud environment, fully API enabled. And I think you have an opportunity to, to really look at financial services, not just in a cash in cash out scenario, but across all asset types. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when you start talking about asset types and you think about being able to uh, do transactions, leveraging fiat, uh, crypto, rewards, securities, you know, being able to, to really have an AUM approach to your wallet uh, is, I think, very new. And I think that's going to result in uh, a whole host of additional innovations and capabilities that we have, we have yet to, uh, to bring to market. So I'm very excited. I think we're still in the early innings of where financial service is going to go. The, the other thing that, uh, you know, um, is kind of aligned to what we were talking about, what's underneath the hood is the fact that, you know, we're, we're also uh, from a protocol perspective, consolidating a lot of payment messaging around ISO 22. You know, that decision was made a couple of years ago. And the benefits of that is that once you start putting more and more transactions on a single protocol, you know, the, the more efficient backend systems become the ability to then expose that protocol to multiple different use cases makes it a lot easier. It brings the cost of, of transactions going down a little bit. Um, and I think that's where, you know, blockchain is going to take us in a couple of years down the road. It's going to take that protocol and make it more programmable. 
right? You're going to be able to program payments. You're going to be able to, uh, you know, leverage your your uh, your debit card, your credit card today, more as a token and as a key uh, to unlock different ways that uh, payments then can be executed and and funded going forward. You talked about geeking out. I'm, I'm looking for a, a you know a, a period where. We get to, you know, I don't think, I think it's like Star Wars where you just use credits wherever you go, right? You don't know what's behind those credits, but everybody's on the same uh, monetary uh, platform and they're able to uh, exchange value wherever they want to go, regardless of what they're buying or selling. Sounds like the metaverse. Yeah. And it feels like early innings with the the, the groundwork having primarily been laid um, for, for the future growth. And, and that actually is a good segue to my next question. So, you know, like, what, I guess, what other hurdles do we need to have? What work needs to be done to be able to continue growing open finance? You know, the tech has advanced to a point where I think people are seeing applicability and uh, working on commercialization, right? Because I think the commercialization piece is still something that folks are getting their head around. Like, what is the pricing model that's going to emerge? Is it going to be, you know, splitting interchange like we have been? Uh, is it purely transaction-based? Uh, is it value-based? Is there something else going to come uh, come in, right? So I think commercialization is probably one hurdle. The other hurdle is the regulatory environment. We talked about the goodness that comes out of uh, open finance, right? And delivering these, these fantastic experiences and frictionless, seamless experiences to the, the end consumer or the end uh, business. But the regulatory environment needs to be, you know, caught up as well. And, you know, let's let's just use the, the discussions around crypto the last couple of weeks, right? We're, we're seeing where crypto is in the news cycles. But I just came back from a, a discussion with, uh, uh, in, in a conclave that's led by Cornell down in D.C. And we had academics and we had industry participants. And one of the things that we realized was that, uh, you know, for something like crypto and blockchain, uh, people couldn't agree which regulatory body needs to take point, right? Was it the SEC, the OCC, the CFTC, their CFPB? So there's all of these agencies out there trying to figure this out. And I think when you think about open finance, you know, those agencies need to come to the fore as well to say, hey, what are the guardrails and the consumer protections that we need to have in here? Because, you know, one of the things that really does uh, uh, come out of the exhaust of open finance is all of this data that gets exchanged, right? And if that data is not handled appropriately, uh, there's an opportunity for, um, uh, you know, for things to go sideways. So I think there's, uh, you know, the data piece, the regulatory piece around uh, uh, who needs to dictate, you know, what the policies are and the commercialization piece. So again, early innings, lots of excitement, but there's still a lot of work to get done. Yeah, sounds like there's still a lot of opportunity and a lot of work, as you said. Um, so, so let's put this in perspective. What is, what do you, how do you position Fiserv, I guess, into um, this, this narrative of open finance? What's, what's Fiserv's role? We're very privileged to be in the position that we are in in the U.S., which is you know serving forty uh, percent of the finance, close to forty percent of the financial institutions with core banking systems, being able to see the number of car transactions that we're able to see uh, today as, as one of the, uh, if not the largest processor in the country. Um, so from that perspective, you know, our goal is to continue to kind of 
increase the size of our tent, right? Bring more people in because I believe there's an opportunity within open finance where there's shared benefits across the ecosystem, right? So for us, it's, it's all about driving goodness to all points of the network, right? Helping consumers and, and businesses uh, get access to services that uh, once uh, were not available to them, allowing technology companies to build those user experiences and monetize them in a way that delivers uh, benefits for their captive audiences, and then allowing financial institutions and merchants to diversify their business models by participating in the ecosystem. So again, we see this as an opportunity to lift all boats, increase the size of the tent while we're uh, creating more efficient commerce and creating more channels of growth for everybody. Sinal, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thanks, Zach. Really appreciate it.